So we also have a treat too, because um, as you, as some of you may be aware, as a church, we supported um, Paulie as he just went out and spent the past month in the country of Jordan, uh, working in refugee camps out there. Uh, and he just returned on Thursday. So I think mentally right now, it's what, three in the morning over there in Jordan? They're, they're, yeah, they're way ahead of us um, time-wise. Um, but he's here with us today, and he's going to share with us some of the things that he witnessed and what to be part of and, and share really the word of the Lord with us this morning. So this is kind of special for us. So would you help me welcome him once again, Paulie? Thanks for being here. mic on? All right, there we go. How's everybody doing? Good? Great. I, uh, contrary to what Eddie said, I'm going to share some testimonies and just give a word of encouragement. I'm not going to preach this morning. Um, I'm still a little blazed out from my trip. You guys ever go overseas and then come back a couple days later, you're just trying to survive and make it. But um, I, uh, I had a lot of amazing things that God did while we were in Jordan, and I just want to share a little bit with you about it. And then I just want to, you know, as a family, I just want to process some things that I was processing when I was there, what I was thinking about when I was there, and things that I'm still processing back in the States. And so uh, Jordan's an amazing country. It's one of the most loving countries I've been to. Uh, Jordanians would give you their shirt right off their back for you. Uh, I didn't meet one, you know, you're not sure how they're going to react, you know, you're being an American, you know, you, you just don't know, but most loving people. First day in, uh, we took this thing called the Kareem. So they have taxis, they have a couple different taxis, then they have th- this thing called Kareem, which is like an Uber. And so my team, we split up in two teams. I was leading a team, my buddy was uh, heading a team. And so we took off and we were about to go do e-work, which is evangelism. And Jordan, uh, you're, you're not legally allowed to evangelize and share the gospel. If you're on the streets and you begin to preach out the gospel out of your Bible, you get arrested. And so you're not able to do that. And so we have to be really strategic in how we do that. We're, we, we're there, we're honoring and serving workers there, which are missionaries, they call them workers. And we want to make sure that we respect them and follow their procedure. So we're about to head in to the cat, uh, to our Kareem and, about to go take off, and they kind of split us up in different parts of Amman in Jordan to go share. And so we step into the Kareem, and they, they told us, you know, ask the guy, what, what's his name, and if he speaks English. You know, that's a great way to just start a small conversation on your way to where you're going. And so I did that. I, I hopped in the front seat and said, hey, what's your name? And he's like, my name is Jihad, but not like Boom. And he made it so evident. He's like, not like Boom. No Boom. And I was like, wow, Okay. All right, I, uh, that's, he's like, no, 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 no boom. It's a beautiful name. And I said, oh, okay, like, well, what does it mean? And he's like, ah, oh, it's beautiful. It means when you take something from me, I take it back. And I was like, so it kind of sounds like what I assumed. <laughs> he's like, but no boom. And he reminded me that the whole ride that we were there. And that was the first day walking into Jordan. And I said, this is going to be a great uh, 20-something days there. Um, and it really was. <laughs> I have a lot of stories with that. But um, we did two main things while we were there. We, we evangelized, 
and we worked uh, with refugees, Syrian refugees. And so um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about evangelism, and then I'll shoot in towards the end about refugees and just kind of give you a word of encouragement, at least what the Lord spoke over me. Um, like I told you, evangelism there is illegal. So when you go there, essentially what you do is you kind of walk around the streets or the mall, and you just hope to, to spark up a conversation. Because one thing you are allowed to do there is if you begin to talk and you guys start to dialogue to, with somebody and you ask them questions about their life and their family and they ask you those questions and religion gets brought up, you're more than welcome to talk about Christianity. And vice versa. So it's a lot of secret police there. And, and mainly when you're able to do that, if a secret police approach somebody and say, hey, what is that? What did that guy ask you? They can just be like, hey, we just talked about life, you know? And so my first day in, um, that's what I began to do. I, I was praying. I was kind of like, you know, you're just, you're not sure what, what the day is going to look like, you know? And you don't want to be the one guy who comes back and is like, yeah, I met nobody, you know? It's just like, it would be, Kind of, it would kind of suck. It would just be like, yeah, great first day. But um, I prayed and I was like, God, you know, like I really want you to point someone out to me. You know, give me somebody to really speak to. And I roamed around the mall for quite some time, and there was nobody. And I was getting so discouraged. And um, I went to this painting store, and it was kind of dead. And it was this guy hopped up and he spoke English, and we began to talk. And uh, we began to talk about paintings and where he was from. And he was from Iraq originally, and came over to Jordan and. His dad owned the painting store, and um, we finally got to a place where we started talking about religion, you know, and I just asked him a simple question. I was like, you know, in the morning times at uh, five times a day and at 3.30 in the morning, I woke up every morning with, with, uh, with my fellow Muslim friends with a prayer call at 3.30 in the morning, and it's on a loudspeaker box, and it sounds like somebody's trying to sing a prayer, and it's just awful, and I can't, I mean, it's just like, and it's just waking you up and you can't go back to sleep. So you're just kind of chilling there. And we started talking about that and he asked me what I am. I told him I was a Christian. And he said, well, I don't really follow the Muslim, you know, heavy Muslim beliefs, but, but it's what family does and it's passed on from generation to generation. And so as we began to, to talk, I asked him a simple question. I said, well, well, besides your family generation, generation, why, why do you, why do you serve Allah? Like, well, what, what brings that out of you to, to want to serve him or walk with him? He says, you know, I really don't know. He says, but my, my girlfriend that I'm with at one time, well, he's like, actually, that he's currently with, he says, she, her mom was a Christian like you. And she made a decision on to why, um, if she's going to be a Christian or Muslim. And she leaned towards being a Muslim, which was not a great star. star. I thought he was going to say Christian. I was hoping I would hear the word Christian. but And I was like, okay, well, all right, well, why? 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 Because that just a simple question, why? He said, man, I, I've been with her for years. I, I don't know why. I never asked why. He goes, well, why, why do you lean towards Jesus? And that's when I began to just share simple gospel. The simple gospel about a father who brought his son down, right? Because he loved this world so much that he didn't want anything separating us from him. And so his son died on the cross for our sins. And they said, well, why would a God do that? Why would a God send his son? He says, isn't that a weak thing that a God, if he's God, send his son? Because they don't believe that Allah had, us, had, had children. I said, well, what's weak about sacrificing your life for someone you absolutely love and adore? There's nothing weak about that. In fact, I said, do you know that when he died, he conquered death 
and he rose back to life. Now, no longer death had a grip on him, and no longer does death have a grip on us. He never heard about that. He knew that Jesus was a prophet. He knew that Jesus roamed and, and walked and, and, and shared what Allah wanted him to share. And he was with Muhammad, and, 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 and Muhammad and him apparently were, were uh, best friends. And um, they <laughs> hung out and talked together. But they couldn't understand. Well, he says he, he rose and he conquered death, conquered death. And I said, yeah, he took, he ripped away the keys of death that no longer hold him. So when I die, I said, and when you die, when we believe in Jesus, we have a guaranteed eternal life in heaven with him. There's nothing we can do to earn it. And he was asking, yeah, but if something good, if somebody does something good for you, shouldn't you show your appreciation and, and, and work towards showing them how appreciative you of that? And I said, look, I said, in a relationship, you, you begin to mold yourself and walk with Jesus in a natural way, but there's nothing over us that is forcing us to do good, simply to do good. Does that make sense? I couldn't understand that concept because they have to earn their walk with Allah. At the end of that conversation, he, 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 he asked me this question. He goes, where can I uh, hear more about this? And the Ajil is the New Testament. So I told him, I said, there's a book in the Ajil. I said, let's connect, and I, w- I want to challenge you. And he heard of the book. He knew about the book because in the Quran, you're able to read both the New and Old Testament. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting. The Quran is the completion, they say, and the, the New and the Old Testament is just the start, but the Quran completes it. But they don't really read the New Testament because it's full of Jesus. And he left, and he goes, I want to thank you for coming in here. And I want to share this with you because it's such a simple testimony. He goes, I just want to thank you for coming in here. Because I never would have stopped and asked myself, why does my girlfriend believe in, believe in Muslim religion, but not Jesus? He goes, and now I'm wondering who Jesus is. And he says, do you think that God will tell me who Jesus is? And I don't know, <laughs> I told my teeth this, I don't know what came on. I was like, I absolutely do believe that. I believe that. And he goes, but, but in what way? I said, I believe that he can speak to you in dreams. He can speak to you through his word. And he said to me, can I, can I ask him when I'm in a mosque praying? I was like, yeah, absolutely. I was like, ask Allah who Jesus is in a mosque because that would be wild for you to know who he is. But at the end, I don't know. He goes, but what if he doesn't? And I don't know what came over me while I said this. And I remember walking away like, oh, this is not a country to say this in. But I was like, I bet my life on it. But that's just what naturally came out of my mouth. Because I was so confident in that moment that I don't believe God would leave his children hanging on wanting to know truth. And that's what the gospel that's living inside of us does. We can bet our life on it. And I remember walking away thinking, man, uh, Jesus, I really hope that you do this. (laughs) Because I still got like 20 days left in this country. We just exchanged information here. And we've been dialoguing back and forth, him and I. And it's not yet. It hasn't happened yet. But you know I'm encouraged because I'm not worried about it. I know some of you guys may know this story, and I'm going to slip in and why I'm not. Because we love immediate results. That's amazing. We want immediate results because, you know, we're driven as a society of looking for immediate things. But when I was in China, I met a kid. He was 18 years old. By the way, he cannot 
preach the gospel to teenagers, which is extremely illegal, but I didn't know that. And I, my first encounter was with him. And I began to sh- preach the gospel with him. And he was playing ping pong because in China, there's massive amount of ping pong tables out there, like basketball courts, and people are just playing ping pong. And I'm not good at it, so I just sat there like a weirdo, just waiting to talk with, with somebody. And uh, I watched, and he came up to me, he spoke great English, and we started talking. He said to me, it's so crazy that you came here today. He says, because um, my mom is a Christian like you. He believes in your Jesus. And that's in China, just what they say, your God, your Jesus. Your... He goes, and I've been praying because my mom's been pressing me for years since I was a baby to, to walk with Jesus. And I said, Jesus, if you're real, show yourself to me. He goes, and now you're here with this. I was with two other girls. And for, for 18 days straight, I built a relationship with this kid. And, and two months later, right, nothing happened. We just built a really cool relationship. He said to his mom, Mom, I'm more interested in it because when I met these Americans, they weren't weird like I've seen weird Christians. So I thought that was a good thing. (laughs) But nothing happened, right? Two months later, his mom emails me and says, his name is Bacon. I know. I asked multiple (laughs) times if there was like a really good translation into Bacon. And he says, no, it's like Bacon, like you eat Bacon. I said, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm always hoping for like a good backing of a name, but... um, Paul means small, but that's all right. But, uh, you know, uh, but two months later, his mom emails me and says, and, she's, and she was weeping when she met me, which is super awkward, you know. She's hugging me, weeping. It's like, thank you for, for taking time to be with my son. You don't understand. Since he was in my womb, I was praying for his salvation. And she goes, I just believe it's going to come. Two months later, she emails me and says, Bacon gave his life over to the Lord. That's amazing, right? So, so in the same way, when I, I'm with this guy who... Who, I'm, who I am texting back and forth, and I'm, I, don't, I can't tell you his name because I couldn't pronounce it, and it would just be disrespectful. But um, it, it just can't. I, their names are hard. But I, I believe that God is going to meet him. I believe with all my heart. And there was testimony after testimony of our team coming back. And some days were weaker than others. And the most amazing part was we were able to spend our time in Jordan, uh, in, the, in J-Hop, in the house of prayer, which is, which is in this really interesting uh, community in Amman. And it's right near a mosque, like I said. And we had beggars and all these different people come to our door. And we just get to just, just share the gospel daily. But we'd pray with these workers and we would press in and we would pray three to four hours a day for the nation of Jordan. Can you think about that for a minute? Because it was hard for me in the beginning. I was like, three to four hours a day of prayer. And it wasn't like we had the best musicians. It wasn't like I was like, oh, yay, God, like heaven was opening up. But that's because the Western culture within me sometimes really just jacks up what a relationship looks like at times with Jesus. You get what I mean? Because we're so used to the lights and the glamour, and we're so used to that, the person hitting that note and, the, and that bridge going up and our hands flying up because that bridge sounds so good. But then there was something about the beating on the door of heaven and prayer with your brothers and sisters. With no amazing music, no climax, but the outpours and cries for the people of Jordan. The outpours and cries for the salvation of the people of Jordan. And in that time is when it convicted me. God, why, why don't I have that same passion for America when I'm home? I'm going to be real with you. This is what was processing through me. I would never go grab a cup of coffee at a Starbucks here and even think, especially in New England, to go up to a, a random person and be like, hey, can I sit with you and we could just talk? Like, are you crazy, dude? Get get out of here. Just that doesn't happen. You know, I was born and raised and you just like you know, like a, but that's when it started happening where I'm like, God, if this is the good news, if this is the good news, 
why does at times it feels like it's a country club membership? That unless people walk into our doors, we don't often want to go outside of our doors. And when we go outside of our doors, it has to be strategically the right way. It's not always, you know, some of our ways of doing it is by standing outside of places, screaming and telling people they're going to hell, which I just don't see in the gospel. <laughs> some of the ways is just sitting and, 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 and waiting, you know, for that perfect moment that truth be told will just never come. It's about stepping out in faith. And so as I began to process this and over the week, I was like, God, you know, just show me more. I, I want to know more. I don't want to just call myself a pastor or live or preach in, in church doors, but not have compassion for my own people at home as I did with Jordan. And I don't, you know, I don't want to put my, my conviction on you guys, but I, I think that's a majority of the church at times. And so as we begin to continue my trip there, I began to see God do some wild things with different people in our groups. As people are just interacting with different Jordanians and people are coming to understand and, and, and know about Jesus, but that the, the step of salvation in Jordan is a hard thing because not only do you denounce your culture, right, your, your family's generation of generations culture, your family holds a funeral for, for you as if you're dead. Think about that. As if you're dead, they're done. They want no part of you at that point. So there's such a tender place, right, to share this truth, but realizing what the cost is in other countries. We live in America. I love America. I never loved Philadelphia so much when we flown back, I flown back into Philly. I hold a huge grudge in Philadelphia because of what happened with the Patriots and the Eagles. And, but I remember landing in Philly and I was like, if it wasn't pouring out, I would kiss this ground. I love being in America. I really do. But I want you guys to understand that we, God has given us freedoms here that we just don't take advantage of. We take for granted. And so when, when we had some time now to go, we, we did a lot of e-work and it was a lot of cool stuff. And then eventually we went, and we, we went to go see some refugees in, uh, from Syria. And my whole prayer throughout that, I knew that, that day, you know, the days were coming and I was prepping and praying and preparing. And I wasn't sure what to expect, you know. But we walk in and, and immediately you can kind of tell when you're in. It's about two and a half hour drive outside of Amman. You can kind of tell when you entered into a, a, the neighborhood of refugees. It's just completely broken up. The buildings are just falling apart. I think there's just people, you know, trash everywhere. And you, you, you walk up and you're greeted with this massive smile from, from, these, from these Syrian refugees. And they're welcoming you in their house with immediate tea and Turkish coffee, which is disgusting. And they just are like, please drink this grainy coffee. <laughs> and they have Arabic coffee. And you're sitting down and, and I'm just, I'm looking and, and I begin to get emotional. Normally I use humor or anger as a way to push my emotion down, but I begin to get really emotional because I'm looking at these people and we sit down and they give us their very best. They give us their very best. See, the gospel wasn't handing out tracts, right? Which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, right? In the moment that we were at, the gospel was us sitting with Syrian refugees on the floor with them, in their home, sharing one cup of water 
which I found a little nerve-wracking because I was like, I'm going to get sick. And they would pour it and pass it around. And they would just begin to talk and ask you questions about you and where you came from and why. Why did you come here? And we got to share with them simply because we love Jesus and we wanted you to know that he loves you. See, what's interesting about the refugees area is they, the, the workers told us we had the opportunity to fully go full range. We didn't have to hide anything with these refugees. We could literally tell them and proclaim, it's a little different than Amman, that we are coming on behalf of Jesus Christ, which is a wild thing, but a humbling thing to say. And so they began to just break bread with us and bring out their finest des- desserts. And man, I love that. I mean, when you start feeding me, I'll stay. And so, you know, we had like, we had to visit five families in like a, it was like a five hour gap. And I could have been with like one family for all five hours. And we're sitting and we're talking and, and I begin to ask questions like, was, is it hard leaving? They're like, yes, we love our country. We miss it. Tremendous. Like, what are, you know, what are some of the, what, what were you guys doing, you know? Because again, in my brain, I'm thinking, are these just poor people that just needed a way out? No, they were, they were owners. They were bakery owners. They were teachers. They were doctors in Syria. These are some of the most educated people I was sitting amongst that were forced out of their country because of a war that's taken place where their own country is bombing and killing their own people. But, but, it, but in my mind, what I've done is I, 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 you know, I've watched the news and I've watched guys come into the United States, which does exist, which does exist. I want to stress that. We're coming in jacked up and our news warning us that refugees are coming into America to hurt us. Now, there is a truth to that. But what about the rest of the 90% of people who got forced out of their country because their country is blowing them up and shooting them and forcing them into war that just want us, they don't want us to hold their hand. They just want an opportunity to live. You know, it was a mom uh, telling me that her son was married to her, you know, her daughter-in-law from her waist down was blown up because of a bomb that her, her, that the government uh, was dropping on their community. It's sobering. And then when they're in Jordan, Jordan allows their, their, their borders to be open, but they, then they put massive restrictions on their working abilities, where many of them can't even work. And to get an education in Jordan for a foreigner, they double the triple the price. And the housing there is double the price. I'm being real with you guys. But you know, when you get home, you're like, oh, is this politically? I don't, you know, this is, I want to let you know what I know the gospel says, and I'm going to let you know what I see, and you guys let it go where you want it to go. But now they're handcuffed to a system. They can't go back home. They're trying to survive in Jordan, and they're barely surviving. I met a 12-year-old kid, 12 years old, wakes up at 5 in the morning, every morning, and works and makes falafels for his family to live. He's the man of his house. His dad died in the war. 12 years old. And I said to him, what do you do afterwards? You know? And he says, I just want to collapse in my bed and go to sleep. You know, he said in Arabic. Could you imagine 12 years old, your kid being the sole provider of your home? And we were blowing up balloons and playing with the little kids. And, and he's kind of over there and he's taking care of his 12 years old, taking care of his little sister. His mom's working and 
he looks at me and he smiles and he says in Arabic to the translator, hey, would he, would he want to play with balloons with me? Because there's an instinct of a 12-year-old, right? A kid who's been robbed from his youth that comes out and says, hey, can we just, we just, I don't know who you are, but do you want to bounce a balloon back and forth with me? And I just kept looking at him and we were bouncing that balloon back and forth and I thought to myself, God, there's just more we can do here. There's just more we can do here. There has to be more that we can do here. And so towards the, so this kid ro- rolled with us the whole way down. I got him addicted to Big League Chew gum because I got recently addicted to it. So I went on Amazon and bought like eight packs like I was 12 years old, like him. And I just was chewing Big League Chew everywhere. And he was obsessed with it. So I gave it to him at the end, but he just rolled with us wherever he went. He led like a leader. He led what door to go into, where to go. Massive pounds of uh, bags of food that we were carrying that I was struggling with. That brother did it like it was nothing, like it was feathers. And he was just walking right through. We got to hang out. We got to spend the day with him, man. And he just completely blessed my heart. And everything within me, you know when justice cries out, guys? You know when, because that's what scripture says, that, that we are full of living water. Living water. If we're full of living water, how could we watch people drown and not reach out to help them? Not give our very best. That's not the gospel, guys. The gospel isn't, they're going to take our jobs away from us. We don't want to give them free health care. What if they come over and hurt us? That's not the gospel. I understand that's reality. I, I respect that. I believe in vetting. I believe in being wise. I believe in, but Jesus was a refugee, and we call him Messiah and our Savior. He went from place to place running for his life. But we like to skip that over and only mention that during Christmas time really quick. I just can't. I can't do it. I, I can't. And I'm glad because the truth be told, I had a very not so godly view on what I thought we should do with refugees prior. Because I was so focused on home and me and my safety and our protection. When there are people crying out, they just say, I don't want your money. I actually don't want even your food. Could you just give me a chance to work and do it on my own? Can I just get my bakery back? Can I just start teaching again? And so we sat down with them, we got to hang out with them, and again, more Turkish coffee, more Arabic coffee, more tea. Their tea was amazing, full of sugar, but so good. And um, they put like a fresh mint tea, like mint leaf in, as if it was like, there's <laughs> still like a pound of sugar in it. And we were, we were just hanging out, and one of the questions they asked us was, when you know things start dying down, ask them this question, because it's been happening. Ask them if they've seen a man in white in their dreams. Have you guys heard about that happening in the Muslim culture? It's pretty wild. I've heard about it through like uh, Sean Foyt and a couple different people from Bethel and some wild stories, Heidi Baker, things like that. And, and uh, we, uh, things were kind of dying down. And I just boldly asked, I said, hey, has any of you guys seen a man in white? You know, and the translator was like, that's a great question. She's a, she was an amazing worker. She helped us survive that day and, you know, those days. And, and, uh, this woman, uh, this woman actually, the, the mother of it, this 12-year-old son, said, actually, yes. Just recently, I had a dream of a man in white. I was like, wow. 
like, you know, now I'm like intrigued. I'm like, no way. And I said, well, what about? And, and she says, in my dream, I was jumping from building to building to building with great strength. I felt like, like superwoman, she said. And jumping from building to leaping from building to building. And she says, and when I was leaping, a man in white grabbed me and lifted me up, placed me on a building, put his hand over my head, and I had a peace that passed everything I could ever felt before. And I started weeping in my dream. And he just looked at me and smiled. So I was amazed. I was like, who was that? And she's like, Allah. I was like, no. <laughs> Not Allah. <laughs> For the love. So I said, would you mind reading Revelations 1 and the Ajeel? Because now I said, hey, we have this gift. We have this book. It's ours. Because we've got to be careful. We can't just hand out. It's so weird. We just can't hand out Ajeels, right? Because that's solicitating. And so she said, sure. I'm not going to read the whole Revelations 1, but. I just want to read the part that, uh, if I can go to it. So I, okay, so, so, it's, uh, so this is John's vision of Christ, right? It says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden stash around his chest. The hair on his head was as white like wool, and as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. And when she was reading this, her eyes began to get wider. Which is a good sign, right? You hope. And uh, his feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like a sound of rushing water. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining and all its brilliance there was no double-edged sword by the way i thought she was going to say he had a double but she said this is the man his hair was white she said this is the man this is allah no he said no this is the son of god this is jesus christ and she didn't know what to say they kept the book she said can we keep this and i said yeah have it and she was processing and could not believe like wait this this in my dream is jesus the prophet? No, the son of God. And my buddy comes back the same uh, couple days, maybe the same day, and he's had another story. He says, I, I, we asked, our group asked if there was a man, because we have to go in smaller groups when we're working refugees. He's like, if they've seen a man in white. And his was really cool. I mean, mine was really cool. But he said, this woman was like, yeah, I was, I was in my dream. And this man in white approaches me in my dream. Here's what's even wilder. He puts his hand on my shoulder, and immediately I feel peace. Isn't that a trend that's happening in dreams? He says, and he looks at me and says, I love you, and I'm going to restore Syria and bring it back to life. Go and find an ajeel, for it's going to change your life. So she wakes up, and she's trying to process this dream, and she's walking on the streets, and there's a man selling books on the streets. Now, again, what did I say to you? You can't speak, hey, do you want a ajeel? Do you want a ajeel? They discouraged that. And this man who's a Muslim said, hey, do you want this ajeel I have? She stepped back and said, what? And, and said, yeah, do you want this ajeel I have? I'm selling it. She goes, yeah, I'll take it. And that day she bought an ajeel and her mom and her have been reading it ever since in the last couple of weeks. It's only been a couple of weeks. 
And she has question after question after question. But there's something residing in their heart about the peace that they felt with this man in white. See, in, in the Muslim and Buddhist culture, you have to strive towards peace. You have to earn it. And the word of God, what does it say? Jesus says, peace I give to you, peace I leave to you. I don't give like this world gives. <laughs> That's what it says. I don't give like this world gives. Right after he says, peace I give to you, peace I live, leave with you. I don't give like this world gives. Some of the best conversations I had was just by telling people my testimony of how faithful God was to me, how faithful Jesus was to me, how in my worst times in life, how he walked with me. Guys, I, I just want to leave you with two just verses. Uh, Matthew uh, 5, 13, we've heard of this right after the Beatitudes. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its uh, saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except, uh, for anything but, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do, people, uh, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and gives it great light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light be shined before others and that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Guys, salt, when Christ was mentioning this, salt was a hot commodity. So much so that some people would get paid with salt because it was such a, a need. It's what it, we think of salt as bringing seasoning on, you know, to help bring out flavors, enhance flavors. And there's truth in that. But salt back then preserved meat. It's a massive amount of salt that preserved meat. Meat would go, back, go bad within a night. But that salt preserved. When he was calling people out and saying, you are the salt of this world, he's saying, guys, you are the ones who are going to preserve a world that's broken and falling apart and is in desperate need of hope. Guys, we aren't meant to just slightly season people that we come in contact with. You know? We are meant to preserve them for greater. We're meant to open their eyes up to the God that we know is living and breathing and has them and a place for them in heavenly thrones that are seated there for us. That's, that's the God we serve. But we often want to walk around and just sprinkle a little here. We don't want to offend anybody. Sprinkle. I don't want to sprinkle. Hey, okay, hey, you're, you're Buddhist. I'm Christian. Just sprinkle. I kept thinking about this story. It's just funny, my mom's here. But I kept thinking about this story. We're in California, and I am more reserved than my mom. My mom's probably one of the most loving people I know, like just outwardly loving. She works with children. She's the one who will come and like want to hug your child and then just say, don't worry about it. I work with kids as if that was like a free way to like be able to <laughs> hug your kids. Don't worry. I, I'm a, I have my little child care like that. Just mom, you can't just, that doesn't mean you can go hug. But she just loves people. 
And uh, we were in line, and it was ironically Easter. Um, it was the evening of Easter, Easter Eve. <laughs> and um, we're in the store, and my sister and my mom were all rushing around getting some things. And my sister's like, hey, do you want this National Geographic's book? And it was of, it was of Christ, the history of Christ. And so it's my, I'm like, yeah, I want it. So my sister grabbed two, and we put it up. And even there was a part of me that wanted to slightly put it down. <gasps> you just ordained me. And I wanted to slightly put it down so people wouldn't see it. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, I just don't want to get, you know, we're in California, it's really liberal, I'm thinking to myself. And this woman was like, hey, oh, are you guys Christian? And I was like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And my mom's like, yes, we are. You know, my mom goes <laughs> right into it. And my mom starts to literally share the gospel. And yeah, this woman felt a little uncomfortable in the beginning. You know, my mom was like, this woman says to my mom, like, well, I'm so, you guys are so great. And, you know, that's so amazing. You have Jesus. And there's so many other different gods. My mom taps her shoulder and says, no, there's only one God and it's Jesus. Can I give you a hug? And this woman's like, uh, sure. And she hugs this woman. And this woman's hugging her. And I was so frustrated at that moment. It's like, oh, my gosh, mom. Like, this lady wanted nothing to do with you. And da, da, da. I was thinking all these thoughts. And. And then obviously when I was in Jordan, because that's how a good father works, right? He disciplines those he loves. And he says, you chastise your mom for the very thing I'm convicting you to do more of. The simplicity of loving people where they're at. I don't know if that woman is going to know who Jesus is, but I pray that one day when she's sitting in her bed and saying, I don't know what that woman had, but I want that. I want that love. I want that kindness. I want that generosity. I want that peace that was over her, fe- her face. Guys, that's what we're called to be, salt. And we're called to be light. Light, scholars say what I love about this when you study it, it, it means it's, it's literally the kingdom living within us and a testimony that's constantly being shown through us. Testimony means do it again. Isn't that amazing? When we testify of what God's done in our life, we're proclaiming, do it again, God. Do it again. Hey, when I was broken and lost and had no hope, I knew a God who loved me so much, he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for me. Hey, do it again, God. We're light. But some of us want to use it like a flashlight, including myself. We want to put it on at conferences. We want to put it on at really good worship sets. We want to put it on at our Bible studies. And then at times we just want to turn it off because we don't want to look weird in front of people. But we're called to be light. A city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. That means it illuminates through all darkness. Guys, change in this world is not going to start simply with government officials changing policies and regulations. It's not going to start with just simple humanitarian acts. The only way change is truly going to happen is with an encounter with Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. And that's up to us because that's what we are living in. We have light that's birthed within us. We have a Holy Spirit that's dwelling within us. And we're called to release that every day and every chance we get is to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So my challenge to you is the same challenge to me. Am I being salt in this world? Am I being light that's, that's on a, a city on a hilltop that's illuminating through all darkness? Or am I choosing when to be salt? Or am I turning off my flashlight when I want to be light or dark?
So guys, my commission to you is go into your workplace, go to the, I know, I know you guys are looking like, when's this homie like wrapping it up? He said he's not doing a sermon. This is clearly a sermon. He lied to me. <laughs> when you're at a restaurant, when you're grocery shopping, when you're grabbing coffee, why don't you try what I did? Cause I'm about to try it. Just go to Starbucks and sit with somebody and say, Hey, can, what's up? Where are you from? Can we talk? You don't need to go crazy and be like, turn a bird. Please don't do that. I'm not telling you guys to do that. Do not go outside an abortion clinic and be screaming bloody murder. It doesn't go over well. Um, but how about just simply building a relationship? How about simply breaking bread and sitting down and getting to know people the way Christ got to know people? I really don't care if your friends around you think that you might be black backsliding because you're hanging out with people who are broken. That's what Jesus did. And the Pharisees and Sadducees thought that he was a hypocrite. But yet they were the ones that were hypocrites. So go, build relationships. Go share the gospel. Let people have hope in a broken world. Give them a chance to thrive in a place that so desperately wants to hold them back. So desperately wants to give them food that's not of Christ. Give them water that's not living water, and they'll continually keep thirsting. But you guys... We all have living water within us, and they'll never thirst again. They'll never thirst again. So let's pray. Father, I believe with all my heart you called us all to a great commission. We're all part of that great commission. Some are workers in different countries. Some are pastors. But there's not one of us that you said sit back and lean in and get fed and don't feed others. You've called us to go and proclaim the gospel, the good news. So I pray, God, that you will convict us as a good father does. Allow us to use the freedoms we have here in America that, that people have died for and shed their blood for in such a great way, Lord. Let it be to glorify your name. Let it be to lift your name up higher and higher and higher than anything else in this world. Next time we come into a church doors, God, I pray that we sing like no one's looking at us and that we lift our hands with complete freedom. Lord, that when we're sitting and hearing about the true gospel, that we're, we're taking it in, we're just, we're digesting it like, because there are people, God, that are in this world that don't get to digest it the way we do. They don't get to sing the way we do. They don't get to shout the way we do. And they're desperately wishing they could. God, I pray we stop allowing Christianity to be about ourselves, to make ourselves famous. It's not about that, God. It's only about you. That's it. Lord, allow us to steward what you've given us well, God. May this place, and I always pray this, may this place be a well for the most broken people to come and find refuge in fullness, in love, in this house, God. We love you in the name of Jesus. Amen.